0: Shalom, and thank you for listening to the weekly teaching from Nahamu Ami. It's our honor that you've chosen to participate virtually, and we hope that this lesson will be an inspiration in your daily walk. Don't miss a single teaching. Be sure to download the Nahamu Ami app by visiting our website at www.maconmessianic.com and clicking the Download the App button in the top left corner. Enjoy the message
1: okay Shabbat Shalom Rabbi Damien is as you've noticed he's not only out of town he's not only out of the state he's out of the country okay he is he's doing something amazing being able to teach in Australia and uh, with first fruits and um, although we're sad that he cannot be here today we're thankful that he has the opportunities that he's that he has and that he can Affect so many lives. And last week, I think it was, see, last week, or the week before, he talked about um, a gentleman that um, considers us family because he listens to the recordings, right? He listens to the podcast. And so um, people are starting to be affected in different areas of the world, uh, you know, and we, we have a, through this modern technology, the ability to touch lives all over the place, and we're very thankful for that. So again, Shabbat Shalom, and and I'm going to get us started here with um, something that may sound a little strange, but hopefully I'll be able to connect the dots here. I want to try to connect some seemingly unrelated concepts in order to hopefully weave together a picture that you won't easily forget, okay? So let's begin with a story from history. On March 6th in 1475, near the height of the Renaissance, a baby was born to an Italian couple of which the wife would die only a few years later, leaving a six-year-old boy without a mother. During his mother's illness and after her death, he was taken care of by a nanny and her husband while his father worked. The nanny's husband was a stonecutter. And at a young age, the boy began working with stone and became very comfortable with the chisel and mallet. He didn't have very much interest in formal education, but he was fascinated with the local art of Florence, which at that time was the greatest center of arts and learning in Italy. Instead of doing his schoolwork, he would copy paintings that he saw in the churches. And as he practiced his skills, they developed exponentially. By the time he was 13, he was apprenticed to one of the most renowned artists in the city and was being paid as an artist by the age of 14, a rare thing to be sure. Over the next several years, he developed his skills as a sculptor, a painter, an architect, and a poet. He was commissioned by the Catholic Church to to produce countless sculptures, paintings, frescoes, and was the architect of numerous structures, many of which still exist to this day. Today, he's known as one of the most preeminent artists of Western civilization. Who is this man? I'm sure you've guessed by now. Michelangelo, right? His name is Michelangelo. So what does this have to do with Torah or Messianic Judaism? Let's take a detour from this story, set it aside for just a minute, So we can try to make some other connections that we can come back to and pull this all together. As we've already stated, Shavuot begins one week from tonight. One week from tonight, we celebrate this amazing holiday. We've been counting up one day at a time every night. This is one day of the Omer. Tonight is two days of the Omer. Tonight is three days and so forth, right? And we have been working our way up to this momentous event. It's the anniversary of Matan Torah, the giving of the Torah on Mount Sinai. It's the culmination of what Hashem began in Egypt. In Egypt, he released a people, and at Sinai, he gave them his covenant and made them his own, as he promised when he said in Exodus 6, verse 7, "'I will take you to be my people,' And I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And if you remember, this is the fourth expression of redemption in the Passover Seder, corresponding to the fourth, fourth cup that we drink. And Shavuot it's when the Jewish people accepted Hashem's kingship as a nation. <clears throat> it is the crowning moment of everything He was doing in His people from the time he called Abraham until that very moment. It's a day of the Ketubah. Everybody know what Ketubah is? It's the wedding contract, okay? The marriage contract between God and Israel. And on Shavuot, we have various customs, okay? We have custom of reading the 10 commandments aloud and hearing the 10 commandments aloud. We have the custom of eating dairy. We have the custom of reading the book of Ruth and the one everybody looks forward to, the custom of staying up all night and studying Torah, right? Why do these traditions exist, and do they have any significance whatsoever? So, let's start with the first. Reading the Ten Commandments out loud. Charlton Heston, people, come on, you know? (laughs) <laughs> I mean, if you've ever seen the Ten Commandments, we we read the Ten Commandments out loud to remember this amazing event, this momentous event where the finger of God etches these words in the stone and is given to man, right? And so we read these words aloud. This is a sort of a a summary, an encapsulation of the entire Torah in these what are called Ten Words. Eating dairy. What's up with that? Why eat dairy? I mean, lactose intolerant people, you know, this is not a good thing sometimes. But why? What is the, what's the connection here? Okay? Um, the Torah is likened to a mother's milk. It is all inclusive, all nourishing. It contains everything that we need. Okay? And so, and we remember that this is what we are nurtured on at Mount Sinai. We drink from this beautifully flowing milk, and we are led into the land of milk and honey. We have a tradition of reading the book of Ruth. What's up with that? Shavuot is when the Israelites accepted God's covenant, and a mixed multitude came along with them and became part of the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, alongside those who, do, who um, were at Sinai as Israelites. Ruth is about a non-Jew proclaiming, your God shall be my God and your people shall be my people. We named our youngest daughter, uh, you may or may not know this, but everybody knows her name is Miriam, but her middle name is Ruth because we said, your people shall be my people and your God shall be my God. Okay, this is why we named her Ruth because we cast our lot with the Jewish people. It's a declaration of attachment an identity, a call to the nations who initially refused the Torah. According to Jewish leg- legend, you guys know about that. According to Jewish legend, the Torah was first offered to the nations of the world, and they said, "Well, what's in it? You know, uh, don't don't lie. Oh, we can't do that. Sorry, not, it's not for us. Uh, next one, what's in it? Oh, don't steal. Oh, we can't do it. It's not for us. What's you know? What about the next one?" what's in it? Don't kill. Ah, sorry, we can't do that. That's, a, that's you know, one of our things. <laughs> and so uh, it keeps getting refused. And Israel, when God says, will you accept my Torah, they don't ask what's in it. They said, we will hear and obey. We will actually, we will obey and we will hear. It's, it's the order that they set it in. <clears throat> and so they began, um, they, they received this. The nations did not as a whole. And so Ruth is read as a reminder that we can still attach ourselves to the Jewish people. We can attach ourselves to Israel and become a co-laborer in this covenantal obligation, covenantal mission. And then we have the whole staying up through the night and studying Torah. I know Roger's looking forward to that. (laughs) Okay, so I mean, it's like, you know, that doesn't work with my schedule or whatever you know it's like that that what's, the, what's up with that? What's the point? I mean is it just so you can say you stayed, you know stayed up all night? According to um, Jewish legend, the Jewish people um, were excited about the receiving of the Torah at Mount Sinai so they decided to go to bed early so they could get a good rest, get up early and be ready for this momentous event. But as is the case oftentimes, they went to bed early and they must have set their alarm clocks wrong, right? Because they overslept. And when Hashem was ready to give them the Torah, nobody was ready and he had to wait on them. And so um, it sounds a little weird. It sounds a little, you know, it's like, yeah, I don't, well, I don't know if that's the case or not. You know, how do we deal with that? But let me let me read something that Yeshua said, to see if it sounds vaguely familiar or connected. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Afterward, the other versions came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Therefore, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Okay, this is what Matthew uh, records for us in Matthew 25 of our master's teachings. And so it sounds like this is possibly an illusion or a, a hidden reference back to this legend at Sinai that Yeshua is making use of telling us to be prepared. And so we should be doing everything in our power to be prepared because every year we need to receive the Torah anew. It's not like we've got it and we're done, right? It's a new thing, and it's a new thing for everybody every year. It's something we can be experiencing fresh and anew. So what are some things we need to keep in mind when, as we get closer and closer? We're in this week countdown, or count up, I should say, to Mount Sinai. Um, some of the things we need to keep in mind are at, the, at Mount Sinai, the Torah was given with signs and wonders. Okay, has anybody heard that? The signs and wonders that were given at Mount Sinai. It's recorded in Exodus chapter 20. In, our, in our, most of our modern translations, it just says, and the people heard the thunder and lightning, okay? That is not even close to what the text says, though. Okay, first of all, thunder and lightning is a very liberal translation. It literally says they they did something with the voice and the torch, the voices and the torch, okay? The voices and the torch. Torches, I believe it's plural. And then it doesn't say that they heard it. It says that they saw it. Have you ever seen thunder? Because if you have, I want to get with you and learn a few things. Okay? I have never seen thunder because thunder in the realm of the natural is not something we perceive with our eyes, it's something we perceive with our ears. Okay? So the sages explain this as the voice that they saw was a voice that came forth from the Holy One, blessed be he, and split up into 70 components, split up into the 70 languages of the world. And that's when he offered the Torah to all the nations and they rejected it. And so, and then the Torah went out and the people actually saw it. And there's uh, other um, legends and things that talk about the Torah being as a tongue of fire upon them. Sound familiar? And so the Torah was given with signs and wonders. Acts 2, we just made an allusion to that. Acts 2, what happens? The disciples are together. Where are they? They're in Jerusalem. What are they there for? Just because they're hanging out, waiting on something? Okay, most people don't know this. They were, they were there because they were waiting for one, but why were they gathered specifically together that day and praying? Because it was Shavuot. It was Shavuot. And in the, our first thing in the morning during the Shakrit prayer service, during that dry liturgy, if you've ever been to our Shakrit service, it's not dry. We have a good time. We have a, a great time. And, um, but during that the Ruach, the Spirit, poured out onto the disciples and all who were present with them. Okay? It says that the people thought they were drunk. Why? Because they were speaking and the people were hearing it in their own languages because they knew that these were Galileans and, and so forth. And these people were from wherever, they were or Jews from all over the world. And they were hearing these guys speak in their own languages and magnifying God and telling the praises of God and speaking of Yeshua and so forth. And so this was connected. They heard a sound of a mighty rushing wind, tongues of fire upon their heads, and so forth. This is a connection back to the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. And again, they were on the mountain. They were on the Mount of God there in Jerusalem, and they were giving signs and wonders, connecting back this Torah, the giving of the Torah, to the giving of the Ruach that would lead them in the application of Torah to live a godly life. Shavuot is a time where the Ruach, the Spirit, is able to do incredible work in God's people. Rabbi Yehoshua ben Levi, he said this, Every day an echo resounds from Mount Horeb, proclaiming and saying, Woe is the creatures who insult the Torah. And as it says, and it also says, And the tablets are the work of God, the writing of God's writing, engraved on the tablets. This is a quote from, I believe it's uh, Exodus 34. <clears throat> um, he says, read not engraved, charut, but read it, rather, cherut, liberty. It's the same exact letters in Hebrew. Torah has no vowel markings, and so you can read it one way or the other. And so, don't read it as the Torah is, the, the God's writing is engraved on the tablets, but read it as God's writing is freedom on the tablets. For there is no free individual except for he who occupies himself With the study of Torah. And whoever occupies himself with the study of Torah is exalted. Sometimes we see the Torah and things of that nature as rigid and lifeless. But it is actually not only full of life, but it brings us the freedom we've been trying to find everywhere else. Torah is also the focal point of the new covenant. You guys know this, some of our listeners may not know this, but the Torah is the focal point of the New Covenant. Um, Unfortunately, the New Covenant has been just sort of been this, um, you might want to call it vaporware. If you've ever sold software or dealt with software, you know what vaporware is? Vaporware is when you sell software that doesn't exist, okay? And you bank on... Um, building the software before it comes due, okay? So you, you sell something that technically doesn't exist, and you bank on the fact that you can create it and get it done and it work like it should according to the contract, okay? So <clears throat> the New Covenant, it might be a good good way to uh, describe it in a way that, that um, most of Christianity teaches. It's sort of vaporware. It's like this New Covenant thing. It's, it's, it's this new thing. It's something that Jesus did, But I can't really explain it. I don't really have parameters for it. I don't know what the promises are. I don't know what the restrictions are. I don't know what the the, uh, commandments of it are. I don't know what the contract says, anything like this. But we know that the new covenant is spoken of in the Tanakh, and it deals with the Torah, and it deals with the heart. And it connects these two things that are sometimes very, very disparate. It says in Ezekiel 36, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols, I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart. Now, I didn't mention it's also connected to the land, but the point I'm emphasizing right here is the heart and the Torah. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove your heart stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh, <clears throat> and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, you shall be my people, and I will be your God. And of course we all know this, Jeremiah thirty one thirty-three says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my Torah where? On a tablet? On a parchment? No? In the sky? I will put my Torah within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So according to these passages, the Torah will no longer be merely written on parchment, but will be written on our hearts. It will no longer be some external motivation, okay? but it will move us from the inside out. It will be like the miracle, and this is jesting, the miracle of a child who no longer has his mother having to tell him what to do every moment of every day. <laughs> he will automatically know what he's supposed to do without being told and do it to the best of his ability. And those parents of, of children will say, glory, all <laughs> right. Um, so <clears throat> this connects us to this week's Torah portion. This Torah portion is called the Hukotai. It means in your statutes, in my statutes actually. And it begins with this amazing promise. If you've read the Torah portion, you know what I'm talking about. It says, if you walk in my statutes not to be confused with Michelangelo's statues. Don't walk in those statues, okay? But walk, (laughs) right, that would hurt. But walk in the Lord's statutes and observe my commandments and do them. Then I will give you your rains in their season and their land shall yield its its increase and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. I will make my dwelling among you and my soul shall not abhor you. It reminds me of something Selah said to me a week or two ago, my soul shall not abhor you. I was holding Selah, um, the bull's youngest girl. She she said, Mr. Darwin, she's not so cute. She said, I will never hate you. <laughs> and so I'll make my dwelling among you and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you and will be your God and you shall be my people. This is a connecting a few verses. There's a paragraph in between there. But that's an amazing promise, amazing promise. This is a promise, again, it's an allusion to this new covenant of what God is going to do. Rabbi Schnur Zalman of Leity. anybody know who that is? He's also called the altar rebbe, not like, you know, you have in churches, not what's in the temple. Not to change something either. It's it's a Yiddish word that just means old, the old rebbe, okay? And he... Was the founder of Chabad? Many of you know what you guys know what Chabad is. Um, of the Hasidic um, sect called Chabad. Okay, um, he's he's the one that wrote their foundational text called the Tanya, um, and so forth. And so he he makes a comment on this passage here. He says the if you walk in my statues, talking about this bekuchoi here, this word chok chok. Is, is here, it means statutes, ordinance, decrees, something like that. Generally, when you talk about a chok, a chokim, something like that, you talk about things that, it's like God told us to do that, but you know, I don't have a clue what's up with that. I, I, don't, I don't know what's up with that. It doesn't seem to make any sense. I mean, some of these laws make sense. Some of them just don't make any sense. I mean, like the ashes, the red heifer. I mean, how does that work? You know, um, Dietary laws even, it's like, What's up with that? I mean, we can try to say, oh, health and stuff like that, but you know, you pick up a package of kosher anything, you know, you can pick a pa- package of kosher candy. It doesn't mean it's healthy at all, right? So, um, <laughs> right, it just means it might taste a little better, no. So, it's definitely more expensive. <laughs> but a hulk is generally seen as something that it's, it's given to do, but we really don't have an idea of what the reasoning behind it is. There's no a promise attached to it. There's no reason given for it, okay? But in this case, he says the word chok at the root actually means engraved, okay? Something engraved. And so he says the Torah comes in two forms. We have the written Torah, graved Torah. And on the last day of his life, Moses inscribed the Torah on parchment scrolls. But this written Torah was preceded by an engraved Torah, right? The divine law was first given, encapsulated in the Ten Commandments, which were etched by the finger of God in two tablets of stone. So here's an aspect of the Torah that one Torah is, you might say, inked onto your soul. We understand it. Our emotions are roused by it. It becomes our lifestyle or even our personality, but it remains something in addition to ourselves, outside, so to speak. But there's a dimension of Torah that is chok, engraved into our being. There's a dimension of Torah which expresses a bond between God and us that is the very essence, he says, of the Jewish soul. And I would add to this, that there's a dimension of the Torah that expresses a bond with God at the core of every soul, to some degree. So the Torah is both written and engraved, written upon the parchment of the safer Torah. We have three wonderful Torahs back here. And engraved upon the tablets Moses brought down from Sinai. Like, Darren, where are you going with this? Okay, let let me take it a little bit further, and I'll bring it home. There's also aspect of the Torah that is both written and engraved upon the individual, okay? This is an analogy here that a rabbi once offered. He said, every Jew is a letter of the Torah, but a letter may at times grow somewhat faded, and it's our sacred duty to mend these faded letters and make God's Torah whole again. Now, it sounds like a great analogy, right? It's beautiful. But Rabbi Yosef Yiskak of Lubavitch heard this, and he objected. He said, no, he said, I've got something better. The identity of a Jew cannot be compared to erasable ink on parchment. His identity cannot be erased. Every Jew is indeed a letter in God's Torah, but a letter carved in stone. And at times, the dust and dirt may have accumulated and distorted or even completely concealed the letter's true form. But underneath it all, the letter remains whole. We need only sweep away the surface grime And the letter in all its perfection and beauty will come to the light, okay? Now let me bring it home. The artist that we began talking about at the beginning, Michelangelo, world-renowned. I mean, he's famous all over the world. He's quoted as saying, and you probably heard this, every block of stone has a statue in it. And it's the task of the sculptor to release it. Okay, there's another saying he said, Talk about this particular um, sculpture that he made. He said, I saw an angel in the marble and carved until I set it free. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Okay. Michelangelo saw things differently than most people. When he looked at a piece of stone, a piece of marble, a piece of whatever, He saw a masterpiece of art hiding inside it, waiting to come out. Michelangelo knew that in order for him to release the image he saw hidden in the marble slab, that he had to chisel away at it and remove the parts that didn't belong. He chiseled away the pieces that needed to be released in order to release what he saw hidden within the stone. And I would say Hashem sees us in much the same way. Rav Abba Aricha said, we're not the mitzvot given so that man might be refined by them? Do you really think that the Holy One of of blessing cares if an animal is slotted in the front or back of the neck? Basically, what he's saying is, Does it really matter about this whole ritual slaughter type thing? What's the big deal? I mean, does does God really, really care about that? But he says, therefore, mitzvot, the commandments, were only given to refine man's character. In other words, because God said it, there has to be something there that when I obey it, it changes me somehow to be more like who he wants me to be simply through obedience. The Torah wasn't given to angels whose character and nature are static. But it is given to man whose nature and characters, his character are dynamic. In other words, it wasn't given to perfect people. I mean, you know, outside of a few that I see in here, there are no perfect people in this room, right? Dave's back there raising his hand, so (laughs) pointing to his wife. But it was given to mere mortals like you and me. People who fail. People who try and fail. When Hashem first made man, he formed him from the dust of the earth and then he breathed into him the breath of life. He exhaled into man something of himself. Have you ever thought about that? He gave something of himself himself. To man that he didn't give to the animal world. But the essence of godliness that he breathed into us is wrapped and is hidden by this vessel of dust that he formed in order to house it. And each of us are clothed in this mortal coil that we call flesh. We all have this dust coursing through our veins, so to speak. But more importantly, each one of us has a neshama, a living soul made in the image of God. One day the Torah will be written on our hearts and inseparable from our identity. But in the meantime, we have to be chiseled on and worked on every day. The chisel of the Torah, tap, 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 has to chip away this raw material until the Creator can see the true person that he intended. Every time we fulfill a mitzvah, it is the chisel of Hashem breaking away one more piece from our exterior to reveal the true person hidden behind that stone slab. When we were born, we were like a big hunk, a slab of marble, waiting. To be shaped, we are beautiful, but without any real shape or true character. God willing, by the end of our days, our true identity can be revealed as the master craftsman shapes us with his holy Torah. So, this Shavuot, may you receive the Torah fresh and anew and allow the Holy One, blessed be He, to reveal more of your true character through the refinement of of his Torah Amen Shabbat Shalom
0: We hope you enjoyed the weekly teaching We'd love to hear from you with a comment a prayer request or questions you might have We believe the mission and message of Messianic Judaism is something the world needs now If you enjoy these teachings would you consider financially supporting the work of Nahum Ami by visiting our website at www.MaconMessianic.com and clicking the Give Online button in the upper right corner. Thank you again for listening.